Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Podcasting from Glendale, Arizona and Spokane, Washington, this is episode number 164 of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, A Brain Science Approach to Parenting. I am Tim Wright. I am the host. I am here along with our good friend, Dr. Michael Gurian. Dr. Michael Gurian, as always, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Thanks. You know, I need to get myself a doctor in front of my name. That's really impressive. You should. Yeah. Yeah, you deserve I, it. It. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work, though. So I, I think I'll just stay, you know, Tim Wright, and that's good enough at this point. So as long as I get to ride your coattails, it's probably it's probably good enough. So well, I always want to tell people I'm not a real doctor either. So, you know. <laughs> but you slept in a Holiday Inn uh, Express I, or whatever it was. There you yeah. go. <laughs> uh, before we get into um, our topic for today. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about uh, the Forge School, one of our sponsors. Yeah, I was just out there. I'm uh, uh, consulting with them, and they have a very boy-friendly program. I was just there a few weeks ago. Great staff, great people. So it's what they call short-term residential treatment, So, and it's boys, 14 to 17, who are having any sorts of issues. Uh, uh, and, and it's uh, adventure therapy. It's out on 55 acres by a river. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a wonderful place. So if anyone knows, uh, you know, any boy who needs, who's in that age group who needs residential treatment, uh, go to wonderofparenting.com and just click the forge link and you'll see all about them. Our other sponsor are our good friends up in the Seattle area, and that's Greg Jantz and the Center Place of Hope. And, uh, if ever the world needed hope, Boy, it's right now. We have been mm. through it these last 18 months. And so uh, sometimes things like pandemics and other things can really take it out of us. And if you ever need some good resources to help you cope, uh, please check out uh, thewonderofparenting.com and go to the link that says the Center Place of Hope, and you'll find a lot of great resources there from that organization. So our topic for today actually came to us from my nephew. Uh, he is raising... Uh, he's a single parent raising a 13-year-old daughter, uh, and he's doing it with the help of his mom and dad. And he was telling me some of the um, interesting things that his daughter is experiencing in school right now, and I'm guessing she's not the only one. And uh, this was happening, the first instance happened in their biology class, of all places, where before the class started, the teacher went around and asked every student what pronoun they wanted to be known by. Uh, and uh, then the second issue was uh, a number of girls now uh, her age are doing this thing called breast binding, which was new to me and, and Michael, I think mm. somewhat new to you. Mm. And we felt like both of these topics seemed to be somewhat related around sexual identity, uh, around uh, transgendered students and um uh, certainly, for me, uh, one of the things, Michael, that you have really uh, done well, I think, is spoken compassionately 
about these issues uh, because you're using brain science research and you, you're able to talk about from a brain science perspective, uh, children who are struggling with sexual identity or transgendered children. Um, but I know at the same time, there are a number of parents who are wrestling a little bit uh, because their their children, as I'm guessing you'll have the stats on that, their children are in the majority who sort of know they're male or female, and they're concerned about what all of this uh, choosing pronouns is, is going to do for kids as they're growing up. And uh, so this is one of those topics, I think, mm-hmm. that needs some wisdom, it needs some compassion, it needs brain science behind it. And um, so it's, it's a really big topic, and I don't even know where you want to start, so I'm just going to let you start, and then we'll see where it takes us. Okay. Yeah, you may have to, I have a lot I could say, can say, so interrupt me and guide me. Um, it's, there, there's kind of three ways this uh, topic is being approached, I think. Um, probably more than three, but three general ones I see. And, you know, one is is uh, faith. So religion and faith has stuff to say about this. Then there's politics. These are not in any particular order. There's politics. And there's a lot of politics around this. Um, and then there's science. And I always want to say when I go speak on this or people ask me to speak on it, I always say, okay, so I'm not going to pick the faith part. I'm not going to pick the politics part. I'm going to pick the science part because that's what I know well. And I actually think it is a great way, if we use the science, which is quite in-depth, it's a great way of helping all populations. So on the, on the part of what's happening is there is a social contagion. So in terms of the question being asked about girls at 13, there's some what we call social contagion. In other words, this is a time when they're developing identity, a lot of um, uh, not, just, not just sexual right identity, gender identity, and also personal identity. So all of this is what they're doing at 13, and they're doing it throughout adolescence. So when when there's something experimental over here, like, you know, maybe this gender identity, then other kids go, oh, maybe that. Yeah, okay, that's kind of neat. And then it spreads. Um, and it's especially spreading among girls um, in the U.S., uh, mainly the U.S., but somewhat in Europe. So uh, that's one piece of it. But because a child experiments with identity and has a friend who's doing it and says, so maybe I'm trans and this kind of thing, just because of that, that doesn't mean that, that that's the final word, right? And I like using the science to help us as parents, as educators, as, as psychologists, everyone, to figure out, so what is the final word? Because the science is going to be very important to protecting as you said, um, the, the majority, the way it's divided up, but also the minority, yeah. the majority and the minority. And here's how I think the science helps us protect everyone. Um, what is forgotten when we deal with this from, like, especially a politics point of view, what's forgotten is that sex comes first and gender comes later. So there is no there is no six-month-old or one-year-old child that knows anything about gender, right? All they know is sex. Um, their brains are their bodies and brains are male, or their bodies and brains are female, and then there's a big spectrum of what is male and what is female. But we have scans of fetuses, so we can see in already in in eight nine month old fetuses, and I and I show these when I speak. Um, and people can get them; they're they're you know all over. You just dig for them, and you can find them. Um, you can see that by brain scan that male and female brain have already differentiated in utero. So what's called sexual dimorphism, which simply means there are 
two possibilities for humanity. There's male and there's female. Um, those two possibilities are what we know, and that's sex, sexual dimorphism. Um, and we all have that. So that's very important for people to know because I think it helps when kids are experimenting and they're trying to figure out, well, I wonder what piece of this identity I ought to use. Um, the sex came first. Then gender is social construct. So they can construct and experiment with what gender they think they are. It doesn't change that they're male. It doesn't change that they're female. But they're, they're constructing a gender because they maybe don't like this about being male. They don't like this about being female. They prefer this other thing. And maybe uh, I'm a male, but I like this other thing. And so we experiment, right? So that's gender. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, in the middle of all this, is um, LGBTQ plus. So the because politically we've grouped lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and questioning, or queer, or QS questioning, uh, it's used um, both ways, plus, because we've grouped them all, um, we've kind of taken it out of the science. And this creates the complexity so that people will think, well, I'm uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, I might be trans, I might have a gender identity that is over here or over here, I'm not exactly sure, so it's a they, and all of this gets grouped together. When the LGB person, the lesbian, gay, bisexual person, is actually still male from a brain-based point of view, or still female, and, and you can see that on the brain, and then you can also see the part of the brain, the sexually dimorphic nucleus, in the anterior hypothalamus, you can see that that same sex orientation in that brain, and that's five to 10% of mammals. So that person should not necessarily be grouped um, with gender because that's an element of sex on the brain, right? That's coming in with the original template. Um, trans also, trans, actual trans, about we think around 0.3% of human beings don't really know, but it's a very small number, but a real number. And a number that that has high suicide rates and you know heavy distress, so we really have to take care of this population. Well, that should not be grouped with um, gender dysphoria uh, per se. I group it with brain sex dysphoria. I'll describe what I mean. Um, uh, that's a group where brain scans show, just like for LGB, brain scans show a trans person. So, um, uh, and I have these in my books, minds of girls and and uh, saving our sons and I'm also um, 
publishing a number of blogs on this topic in the fall of 2021 on GurianInstitute.com. So I'll be pointing out all of this research and these studies that people can look at. So it, LGB and T ought to be in a separate group because that's all coming in uh, off sex on the brain. And in trans, you have this anomaly where we think it's already happening in utero, where it is, it's a, it's a male body and a male brain, but a number of the structures and functionality look much more female. And similarly, we could have a female body and, and brain, but a number of the structures and functionality look more male. Uh, so that's, so again, the science helps us there. This is, this is all coming in while, you know, the child is quite young and um, that's trans. But the thing that's got the social contagion, the thing that's so confusing and that has sort of taken over, I think, uh, to some extent, unfortunately, without people thinking twice about it, you know, like creating breast binding for people who are not trans, but just like, experimentally, let's have girls, they'll bind their breasts so that they can look more male. That stuff is coming in under uh, sex, brain sex dysphoria and gender dysphoria and um and, and I think that'll be a separate topic. I'll stop what I've said now, and then we can do gender dysphoria after I hear your questions, because I know I already said quite a bit. <laughs> no, Did any was, of that it, make sense? <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to parse it out now a little bit. Uh, let's go back and talk just very briefly the difference between sex and gender. Yeah. Uh, because interestingly, the, the gender discussion in my nephew's or my great niece's classroom the gender discussion was happening in a biology class, which ought to be focusing on sex yeah. from a scientific point of view versus gender. And it seems like it sounds like that that biology teacher was confusing sex and gender. So what's the difference between yeah. sex and gender? Yeah, this is where politics and, and also kind of sort of educational, psychological peer pressure um, is is. Creating a situation that you've described where it, what, what first what the teacher should be doing, but the teacher's not trained in it, right? The teacher went to a training that said, here's what you should teach, and it should be gender. And, and gender should include everything. That's how this teacher was trained in some academic institution or some workshop in the last couple, three years. So, you know, the teacher's sort of doing what they think is right. Okay, that's what I was trained. So we're going to talk about gender. Um, and so they can't distinguish well. Even though it is a biology class, they can't distinguish between sex and gender. And what they ought to do is teach the sex part first and say, okay, here's what happens. You know, your sex is set in utero and you have, and then your brain is set in utero. Here are the scans. As you know, Tim, I show these brain scans, right? So they're, right. they're available. Here they are. Here's what sex is. This, is. this is what comes in on your biology. And then you also have this element called gender, and gender is a social construct. So what comes in on our biology, societies talk about, you know, and kids talk about and everyone can talk about it and say, well, this is this is what I think my gender is. And um, and so now let's talk about that. Right. So one whole class should be done on sex and brain sex and showing the brain scans and all of that, talking about genetics, XX, XY, all of that. And then the next class is on gender. Um and that way you can actually – the teacher could actually explain everything to the kids. But because the teacher is just doing gender, of course, everyone assumes you know, that sex uh, is just about having sex, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's convenient to not have to deal with the word sex uh, scientifically you know, in a class with 
young kids, right? Because then they laugh about sex and so on. So it's just easy to do gender. Uh, but it is unfortunate, and it, it is what creates a lot of these issues. Um, and it's not just this teacher. We want to remember that the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, the DSM, the DSM does not have a category for what I'm calling brain sex dysphoria. Even the DSM uses the term transgender, when in fact, mm-hmm. that's transsexual. That brain mm-hmm. looks like the other sex's brain. So it's not about social construct. Gender is the wrong word, but even the DSM uses it because, you know, it's a lot of politics, et cetera. And, and, and it's, and also for 50 years, we've just, we've defaulted toward using the word gender for everything having to do with uh, men, women, et cetera, everything, because um, we've reserved sex for having sex. And that's where mm-hmm. we use that word. But scientists, meanwhile, you know, all the primary scientists are still using the word sex and they're still using sexual dimorphism and they're still showing the scans of sexual dimorphism, which is male and female. And they're still pointing out, hey, folks, you've only got, you know, two options as a human being uh, in your stem cells. They're male and they're female. Those are your two options. So male and female are what we are. On a broad spectrum of male and female, they are what we are. Um, and gender is the social construct that we utilize later. So so gender, in a sense, would be how, say, a culture oftentimes suggests this is what a male should look like, this is what a female should look like. But there may be a, a guy, a male, who, who's birth, his brain says he's male, but maybe there are some things that he is more comfortable doing that would culturally oftentimes be say well this is what girls do uh like l- let's just take a bad example uh, a guy who wants to be a ballet dancer um in some cultures they would look at that and say well that's what girls do is that more yeah gender? that's gender yeah that's much more in the in relation to gender it has a it has a slight connection to sex but it's a you actually you've given a great example because it's connectivity to sex is so um bare, so minimal, and, um, and, and so stereotypy, you know, mm-hmm. boys don't do ballet, when in fact, we all know that it takes an incredible athlete to do ballet, right? right? So we really, this is where we can tell, okay, we're messing around with gender stereotypes, and now we're in the realm of gender. There's really no real connection to sex. Uh, you could stretch it and try to find one, but no, there's really not. So we're in the area of gender. And so, mm-hmm. similarly, when people used to say, well, girls don't play sports, you know, right. well, that was just gender stereotyping. Uh, you know, of course they do. So, uh, yes, I think you picked a good example. So I, I get the impression that part of this struggle with gender is it it comes out of this good place, political place. You know, I guess we can decide that of trying to make, not only fight for equality between the sexes, but to try to downplay the differences between male and female because there is a, a, a certain line of thinking that says to be equal is to be the same. Right. And and so yeah. is that part of the challenge with gender is we're trying to blur the lines between male and female um, to, to almost, in a sense, just in some circles, I think it's gotten to the point where there is neither male nor female, right? Right. So, yeah, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and and that happens when everything's gender, then you can just say there isn't male and female. Mm-hmm. One can say that. And, of course, many people are saying that. And it is – you're right. It's for advocacy. Um, 
it's it initially began as as you pointed out advocacy for women right yeah. women and girls it started out right. in the early, early feminism and there was a there were two sort of different kinds of feminists who emerged in the first say you know in the 50s into 60s 70s into 80s there were gender feminists and there were equity feminists someone like me is an equity feminist uh betty friedan was an equity feminist these are feminists who said hey women do not have the rights right now that men have we need to fix that we need to get everyone what they need we gotta get women what they need we gotta get men what they need girls what they need boys what they need and that can well include you know anyone on the spectrum right? Everyone needs to get what they need. So that's equity feminism. That does not require sameness. That does not require sameness. In fact, Betty Friedan and, you know, early feminists were very clear on the fact that we needed to understand the differences between women and men, uh, males and females, so that we could uplift females, so that we could help them to understand what they needed to do to compete in these male spheres, and so that we could understand, uh, help males, you know, to adapt to spheres that were moving more female, etc. So that's equity feminism. The gender feminists are the folks who also emerge, like a Gloria Steinem, and that's that whole line. And that's a very academic line. It controls, to a great extent, it controls academe right now, which means it, it then controls, you know, government, the workshops that teacher goes to, it controls media, social media. Um, that gender feminism argued from the very beginning that... Um, men and women had to be the same in order for women and girls to have equal rights. So that argument, right, it was never true. It was never going to happen. Men and women are never going to be the same. Um, they can have the same interests. They can have the same values. But, you know, um, uh, male-female brains are different, and men and women are different, and male, male physiology and biology is different than female physiology and biology. And, you know, women can carry babies, men cannot. And all those differences are not ever going to go away. But the gender feminists, you know, are in the realm really of politics. And so they they initially started this in order to uplift girls and women using their argument. And then in the last, you know, 10 years especially, that, that gender feminism has moved very much into um, LGBTQ+. And, and this is where then I circle back to um, the argument that, that I would make, that I have made, is that just like uh, it ultimately backfires on women to try to claim men and women are the same. Ultimately, what we do is take away rights from women. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and ask me a minute on that if you want. Uh, uh, the same thing is, is happening and will happen with LGBTQ because LGB and T, right, those are brain related and uh, ultimately will have backlash against, um, will certainly have backlash against trans um, uh because people will just say, "Wait a minute, <laughs> this how, how can how can we really you know argue that this ten to twenty percent of people you know that all of them are biochemically and biologically set up this way? It's not making common sense to me. I know these people; they're still male, they're still female. You know, I don't get it. So we're going to get a backlash against them when, in fact, the science is way better for them." Um, and we, we proved that. I think you and I talked about this. We, we proved that once we brought science to the lesbian, gay, bisexual debate, that's when gay rights and gay marriage passed mm -hmm. through the Supreme Court. When we were able to say, oh, that's a gender choice. Well, I never said that. But when people were able to say, that's a gender choice, you made a choice, you know, then 
course rights will be taken away from people. But once we understand that this is in the brain, this is how this person is built, then, oh, okay, the courts say, yeah, of course this person should have equal rights. Uh, this is not a gender choice. This person should have equal rights. So um, I think the science is the better way. And I think the science works for gender too, because now we can figure out, okay, who are the people who are trans? Those people are going to need our services. And who are the people who are um uh, experimenting with gender identity. Um, the people who are experimenting with gender identity, we better not do hormonal therapy on them. And we had better not be surgical with them because um, they are not trans, but we're going to be treating them as trans because we're not using any science. We're just saying, you told me you're male. So, okay, I'm going to change you to male. And this child could be eight. This child could be 10. This child could be 11. Way, way too early right, to um, totally invade the pubertal development of the child. But we're going to do it because we're not using science. We're just saying, well, everything's gender. And this person says they're gender fluid, my 10-year-old. And so, okay, let's start, you know, let's do these steps. Well, that's going to cause severe harm to this child because this child is not trans. If the child were trans, which we can scan and see, if the child is trans, that's the tr that's the one who in middle puberty, we would go, okay, you know, let's look at, let's definitely look at hormonal um, therapy. And uh, should the resources exist later, the child will probably become an adult who transitions. But not the gender dysphoric child, not the child who's experimenting or has social contagion around gender identity. We don't want to invade medically that child's development. We want to get them treatment. So that's what I mean about the science really still being the key to everything. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So thinking as a, a parent, um, your, you know, in my case here, you've, my 13-year-old my great niece is in a classroom setting. She knows that she's female. Um, if, if the numbers are correct, you know, the, the majority of that classroom will know who they are. And then you've got those people who are really struggling. Uh, with who they are, what their identity is. So how, from a very practical standpoint, do we navigate our way through this by being compassionate and understanding of those who aren't sure what their pronoun is, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, uh, with those who are, and how do we treat compassionately those who are wrestling with their identity and not confuse those who aren't wrestling with their identity. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, you, you think of a 13-year-old and suddenly she's asked to decide what her pronouns are. That begins to plant some seeds of saying, are you sure you are who you think you are? So how, how do we manage that as parents, as educators, so that we're compassionate to all people? Yeah, we don't, what we do is, we, what we do is we don't make it into any kind of gender war, or trans war, none of that stuff. But we look at each population. So when we're, so when I'm talking to my 13 year old daughter who has gone to that class, 
I'm I'm gonna first of all I am gonna push back on the class. I'm gonna push back on that teacher and and say I need to meet with you. I need to find out if you really are teaching sex and gender or you're just teaching gender. What was the context you know with, with by which you did this? So I want to learn more, and um and that teacher should talk to me, right? Uh, absolutely. And then, you know, then I can push back a little if all the teachers talking about is gender and say, okay, but then you're not talking about biology, you know, let me look at these studies, right? We can do that. And then with the child, um, uh, with the child, we would, we would talk to the child in our, in our own language about sex and gender and say, well, um, you know, that was an interesting thing they did there. Uh, where are you at with it? What was your experience with that? You know, do, and she'll talk. And then were there confusions? Let's talk about confusions. Do you understand the difference between sex and gender? Um, okay, let me teach you the difference between sex and gender. Um, you know, basically this podcast. And so, and then, and then, as you just said, the odds are that this child will think about it. And then we'll go, um, okay, this is where I think I'm at. Okay, I think I'm female. Uh, in fact, I know I'm female. And I think it's really interesting to be able to talk about gender. And I know this other person who is really depressed. Now, this other mm -hmm. person is the one who has gender dysphoria or brain sex dysphoria. And that person is really depressed. And and they seemed like they're really depressed. You know, so we would ask our daughter, why do you think they're depressed? Well, they seem like you're in the wrong body, right? And so then we mm -hmm. talk about that and we say, okay, so here's brain sex dysphoria. Here's gender dysphoria. Here's what these are. Um, that person could turn out to be trans that person could turn out to be gay. That person could turn out to be um, uh, to to need treatment for gender dysphoria, and then in a year or two, treatment helps, and that person is no longer gender dysphoric. Or that person could end up saying, "I'm gender non-binary." In other words, there are all these options, um, and you know, and so we will have compassion for that person because if a person presents to us or to our child or to a doctor presents with what is popularly called gender dysphoria. That's a form of depression. So they are depressed, right? It comes under the category of mental disorder. And so we are, we're going to have compassion for them. You know, we're going to say, okay, we're, we are here for them. We want to try to figure out what they need and help them get what they need. Um, meanwhile, you know, my, my daughter, let's say, who is not gender dysphoric, uh, who was in that class, I'll, I'll say, and, and I have compassion for you, you know, and you're, you're listening to this and where are you at with it? Okay, you know, here's what I think, here's what you think, here's, here's and the child will end up where they end up. Um, that's, that's the, I think, the only way to do it. We have to educate, communicate, be compassionate, but we don't have to throw out the science. Are we, are we running a risk of adding to confusion as our kids are moving through these identity years with these kinds of discussions of what's your pronoun without context? Or are we opening up our kids to a world that's bigger than the world that you and I grew up in? Well, it's a both and. Um, it's, it is the same. It is to me, to a great extent, the same as 50 years ago when parents were saying, um, uh, I don't know if I want my kids to learn about feminism or about women's rights or these things because I think it'll confuse them. You know, I, I that's why I don't I don't posit that this confusion is too detrimental. Um, I think it will only become 
well, to finish that thought, because what we learned was it was actually was a very good thing, right? That that we were throwing out old gender stereotypes and we were realizing, wait a minute, women can do men's stuff, men can do women's stuff, and we're still women and men, right? That's that's where we ended up with that. This that is where I believe we will end up with this. I believe that that the pushback on the politics by science is going to um, uh, is going to ultimately force all of those teachers to take workshops that actually force is too strong a word help those teachers take workshops that actually lays out the real science so they can teach the real science i think that will happen and um you know and then we're going to end up in a similar place for kids where they're going to go oh that's interesting i wonder what piece of that i want to take on and you know a lot of that i don't want to take on just like uh, I was an equity feminist and still am, and yet I know I'm a man, right? So uh, the confusion wasn't terribly detrimental for me back then, and I, I don't think it will be now. But if it will become severely detrimental if uh, we don't use the science because – and it will become actually more detrimental for gender dysphoric kids – than for kids who do not have gender dysphoria because we will be experimenting on their bodies and brains and, um, you know, and really messing them up as if they are trans, uh, which so, so many of them are not. So I, I think the great detriment is actually going to be to that maybe 5 to 10% of kids who, who sort of hear that there's nothing, sex doesn't exist, I, I, I'm this, and then the doctor is told by someone well, if the child says it, you know, start the experiments. And I see that as more detrimental, truthfully, mm. than, um, than having a, a culture conversation about all of these possibilities. Um, the, the culture conversation about all the possibilities becomes detrimental um, if the teachers are not trained in both sex and biology. Yeah, mm -hmm. then it would become detrimental. So you you did some uh, research on this um, uh, what, what's called breast binding oh, yeah. for young girls, and that's related to this how? Oh yeah, totally related because, um, or very related, of course, because um, uh, there's kind of two things going on there. One thing that's going on is girls who uh, who are binding their breasts. In other words, they're trying to remove their breasts, right, by pressing them in. People can imagine what this is. And their breasts are still just budding then, so they're not huge for most girls yet. So they can kind of cover them up and appear more male. So that's one thing that's going on. It can be part of gender dysphoria. It can be part of... Uh, some of it is they're 12, 13, 14, 15, and they're not really proud of their bodies yet. And they're mm -hmm. confused about their bodies as, as girls and women. And a way around that, a way around dealing with that is to just bind the breasts and try to appear more male, right? So, and then you have some of them who are gender dysphoric and some of those who are trans who, who have known for a while now that they are not this sex, Right their brain feels like it's more like the other sex. And so they're binding their breasts in order to appear more male. Um, and obviously this is mainly a female thing because females have breasts. So I would say those are the two primary categories. Uh, there is some social contagion in it in that you could have some kids who are fit in neither of those categories, but who are just doing it because another friend is doing it, you know, and they're they experiment with it. And I think for them, it, it won't last very long because they don't have this internal motivation 
um, they will become comfortable with themselves as women and their parents and the people around them will help them become comfortable with their body image and say, no, it's, you know, it's okay. Okay to be female. You know what? You look good. Right. And help them through that. And then on the gender dysphoric side, they should get some treatment for the gender dysphoria or what I, or for a trans person brain sex dysphoria, they'd get treatment and get a direction. And for the ones who get treatment for the gender dysphoria, then some of this will go away. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It it's such an it, you know it's such an interesting world to be living in. I think for uh, young parents, uh, you know, when when you and I grew up, um, we knew that there were we'd heard about gay people. Uh, I don't I don't know if I had gay friends or not because we just didn't talk about it much. And over the years, our our culture has grown to understand that. Um, th- that this isn't a sickness, it's not a perverted choice, as I was raised to believe. Um, this is the way their brains are wired, and this is the way that they love and express relationships. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet we knew by talking about that, uh, I wasn't, as a, a young guy growing up, I wasn't threatened by conversations about gay because I knew I wasn't gay, right? I knew I was a male heterosexual. But in this world now where kids are being forced in a classroom to publicly declare what is your pronoun, uh, that that's a whole different way of looking at sex and gender than what we had before. We didn't have to sit in a classroom and say, all right, do you want to declare heterosexual or homosexual? Right. <laughs> so now, you know, with kids already struggling with sexual identity, it's just a different challenge that parents are going to wrestle with than what you and I wrestled with uh, when we were growing up. It is, it is. And that biology teacher would have, would have avoided the problems by teaching both sex and gender and then saying, you know, and then saying, okay, so um, uh, what are pronouns and what do pronouns represent? Mm -hmm. And so we, we know that all of you are either he or she. And then we know that some of you are choosing a different pronoun. Mm Mm-hmm. And so tell us about that. What yeah. is the pronoun you're choosing? And tell us about that. Mm. So the error, the, and this microcosmic error is the macrocosmic error that we're making as yeah. a culture that speaks to your point. The microcosmic error, uh, and the mac- macrocosmic error is we're not um, saying to folks, yeah, we already know you're male and female. You are all he and she. Okay, got that. And so we know that's going to work for just about everyone. And for those of you it does not work for, why? That's how it ought to be, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, okay, none of you have a pronoun. Now pick one. Right. That's the big mistake. Yeah, and I I think that, um, you know, I look at my kids, uh, I look at my grandkids, their, their worldview is so much more open than what my worldview was that I, I think that they can handle those kinds of conversations um, when they're done like that. You know, you use some science, you use some compassion, you have good discussions. They're very, very open mm-hmm. uh, to diversity and uh, to, to people understanding sort of who they are. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I think it's just sort of this uh, trying to impose some things on kids without discussion that that probably is going to hurt everybody in the long run rather than having good discussions about it, which you're suggesting. Mm-hmm. It, it is. The backlash is already starting. Uh, yeah, it's much better for us to help LGBTQ plus people by bringing the science in 
and and really looking at the science. Absolutely. I I fear for, you know, I I mean, I just think LGBTQ people are going to become, especially gender dysphoric, gender nonconforming. You know, I I think there's going to be such confusion and backlash um, by ordinary people against them that it's going to be like uh, the 20, 30 years, all those decades of backlash against gay, you Mm. know, where... Uh, and and we don't need to have that. I mean, we, right. we are smart people. We can look at the science and just, we can categorize things. Um, so that's what I hope happens. I hope we categorize with compassion uh, rather than trying to erase everything and then create the backlash. Yeah. Well, Michael, this has been very helpful and it's such a deep, important subject and obviously a complicated subject because we, in our popular culture, we are mixing up science and gender. Uh, or in many ways, probably replacing uh, or mixing up sex, sex and gender. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, in many ways, probably trying to replace sex with gender in some discussions. So um, I, I know that there have got to be other parents out there who uh, may have kids struggling with their identity and they need the, the compassionate words that you have uh, and the brain science to back that up. And then there are other parents uh, like my nephew who's saying, hey, my daughter knows who she is. And we feel like yeah. somebody's imposing something else on her. And how do we all work through that together so that uh, we all understand each other? And and science helps us with that. So yeah, it's been science, very helpful. Real science will always present, I think, the middle ground. Yeah. I think it's where we, we can meet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, Michael. And, and look, folks, if you've got Thanks, questions for us, um, there are two way, ways that you can bring those questions to us. The first is uh, to go to wonderparenting.com. And we've got a submission form there where you can send questions to us. Or you can post questions on Wonder of Parenting, uh, our Facebook group. We have uh, Almost every week now, we're taking in five to ten new people. So it's really grown, well over a thousand people. That's a thousand parents who are there to um, not only ask questions, but to enter into conversations with you when you've got questions. And we will pick up some of those questions and use them on our podcast as well. So that you would just go to Facebook and do a search of Wonder of Parenting and then hit the join button and we'll let you in. And uh, we want to make sure that we're talking about the things that you care about. So if you've got follow-up questions, if you've got questions that you don't think we've answered or maybe we haven't answered for a while, uh, you can get a hold of us that way. And uh, again, Michael, thank you so much. This has been really enlightening. Oh, thank you. Thanks, people, for writing in. And, you know, people should keep writing in about this. We won't, we won't avoid this topic. So keep writing us, and we will keep doing podcasts on it. All right, we'll be back with you next time for the next edition of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, A Brain Science Approach to Parenting. Thanks, everyone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.